Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bowling. And today on the Car Stuff Podcast, Ben, we're going to talk about chain drive cars. Yeah, it's weird because a lot of people don't know that early autos were actually chain drive. Hey, you can't be in here. What are you doing? No. Hey, someone, did anybody turn the light on? Holy Oh my goodness! I didn't. I I really didn't expect it to get this bad. I know. I'm sorry, Arnie. We we were getting to the mail. We you don't have to do this. These acts of violence. This is not very how stuff works. This is not very stuff to blow your mind. This is not very car stuff. Ah, it was car stuff. Uh, well, anyone out there listening, um, this is stuff to blow your mind. My name is Robert Lamb. I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, we have neglected our mail bot Arnie for way too long. The time was we would call him out every episode. Uh, and, and and he would bring us wonderful mail from our listeners, and we would read them, and we would interact. But we keep getting busier and busier. There's there's never time, so we we haven't called the the mailbot over in quite some time. And he's just been sitting alone there in his cube, uh, just getting I guess progressively crazier. Uh, well, I mean, it's a kind of zoocosis, right? Yeah. I mean, this can happen to robots, and I, I can't believe we weren't sensitive to this before. I mean, and Arnie, I, I heard. I heard the creaks and the squeaks the last time we rolled you out about six months ago. And I should have known that something like this would have happened. And I'm sorry. I just, I never imagined it would play out like this. Well, we have to deal with it. That's the thing. Uh, we can't have this robot rampaging around the studio. Um, do you have any ideas? I mean, we could try using fire extinguishers against him. I don't know. We could try and trap him somewhere. Well, it's kind of like, you know how when people were trying to stave off like some sort of terrible thing happening to their village and they mm-hmm. would make a sacrifice, maybe we can make a sacrifice with... Oh, you mean Holly? No, we could no, sac- oh, no, okay. never Holly. I'm okay. talking about maybe some emails or some, oh, you know, like we could offer okay. that. We could do an entire episode where we finally share all the awesome listener feedback that we have. Yeah, maybe this will this will chill the robot out and calm his... uh his homicidal rage. All right, Arnie, I know you have lasers that are they're directed at us right now. We both have one right in the middle of our chest. And we just want to let you know, we couldn't be happy about this. We have, I don't know, like uh, scads of emails to share. And I think that you'll be very happy about this. All right, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab one here. Um, let me see. Let me just uh, let me sort through here. Maybe there's, there's one here. Uh, uh-huh. Oh, here's a, here's a good one. Here's a good oh, yeah, one. Yeah, he just okay. put his laser on that one. Okay. Uh, this one comes to us from listener Rob. Rob writes in and says, Hello, Robert and Julie. I have become a recent follower of Blow the Mind in listening to all 487 episodes available to me in the months of August and September of this year while at my 10-hour-a-day job as a metal fabricator here in beautiful Barrie, Ontario of Canada. I have the greatest respect for all that you do in bringing science to the public. I have made many changes in my life in light of the new learning and preach science to all that hear me. My four uh, children, ages 9, 8, 6, and 4, all listen with delight as I spread the knowledge I've acquired that day. Please keep up the excellent work and always remember that each and every time you podcast, you are giving something that can never be taken away. The greatest power one can possess is knowledge. Thanks again and happy casting. Thank you so much, Rob. Um, man, I don't even think that Arnie has listened to all 487 whoa, 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 episodes. You're gonna make him, don't say things like okay, that. Okay, okay. Um, all right, he is now putting his laser on this next 
email, which actually was sent to us via Amazon. And this is from Anna Kay. It says, thank you so much for inspiring this story that she wrote. It was stacks of fun to write. Stuff to blow your mind is always interesting and just plain brilliant. You know what she did? She sent us a Kindle edition of her story, The Vampires of Bifurquet Van Marais. In parentheses, it's Hannibal du Noir Vampire Hunter Book 1, which is so cool. I I love it when we hear that we are are helping to shape some maybe subconscious thoughts that you have that are knocking around there and creating different works of art. So thank you so much, Anna Kay. Indeed. Uh, yeah, this one I believe was in, she was partially inspired by our episode uh, Rise of the Vampire Bat, about the evolution of the vampire bat, uh, which certainly I, I found tremendously fascinating. Uh, you know, how does something evolve to depend exclusively on blood as a diet? And she even sent us uh, a copy of the book, and uh, I've uh, been reading on it and found it uh, quite enjoyable. So, uh, so I can I can definitely recommend uh, everyone check it out. Yep, indeed. All right, well, here's another one. This one comes to us from Kim. Uh, Kim says, "Greetings from Cape Town, South Africa. Once again, well done on a great episode." Uh, she's responding to our episode, "The Dark," which we published uh, in October. She says, "As a blind woman, I was interested to hear." Uh, if you would touch on the dark and blindness. I was blinded in a car accident almost seven years ago. I am totally blind, zero light perception, and I have had trouble sleeping since day one of this blind journey. I am so very thankful uh, that I have the two of you to keep me company during my sleepless night. That could tie into the Imaginary Friends episode. Smiley face. Thanks for a great show. Keep up the great work. All right, the next missive we have here is from Coop. We haven't heard from him for a while, but oh, he yes. had sent this. He said, over the weekend, I was going through a bunch of old stuff at my grandparents' house, and amongst all the useless, dusty crap heirlooms was this little gem. It's this great accordion, by the way. Spoiler. He says, of course, me being me, I snagged it immediately. Not that anyone else wanted it, nor do I have the first clue how to play it. But come on, accordions are awesome. I agree. It's a honer, and I'm assuming it's probably from the 60s, but I can't seem to locate a serial number or anything. Apparently, these Carmen models date back as early as the 30s, which would be doubly rad. Let the researching begin. Anyway, I thought you might appreciate this. P.S. You can tell this is a quality Cooper family item by the high-tech electrical cord duct tape handle adorning the case. And indeed, he shows this picture of this great honer. And I love this, of course, because... I am an accordion aficionado. Yeah. I have not been practicing as much as I should, but I can still rock out. Thank you for being my friend, the Golden Girls theme. <laughs> and that's all because of this podcast, which was the, the whole idea behind that was to try to cultivate a good habit. And so the accordion was my habit. Very good. Very good. All right. Uh, let me uh, let me read another one here. Um I think this might be working a little bit. He's, he's, Arnie is seeming a little less aggressive. Um, the lasers are still pointed at us, though. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, this one comes to us from Rachel. Rachel says, Robert and Julie, new listener and loving the podcast. Uh, I just listened to the Zen of Pain episode and wanted to add the discussion with a couple of bits of my experience. First, although this was uh, touched on in the discussion of ritualistic piercing, suspension, BDSM, I would love to hear more about the the burgeoning ritual of body modification in the West, separate and apart from, but in in many instances tied to, longer traditions of such uh, throughout the world. As someone with a large number of body piercings and tattoos, I can say that the experience has become almost a personal ritual for me. The anticipation of what the pain will be, 
the actual experience of it, and the relief of its denouncement, both the endorphins crushing through my body and the awesomeness of having a new piece of body adornment. It's a little stranded in time and space, not being tied to a larger context of history, art, and culture, but it's something I've experienced for years and derive great pleasure from. And uh, R- Rachel also shared some some other comments on this, but that was the the, the core of it that I wanted to uh, to share with everyone because because uh, yeah, I think um, the the whole tattooing experience mm-hmm. and the and the history of tattooing, the culture of tattooing, and 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 body uh, modification as well is certainly a fascinating topic and one that uh, hopefully we'll we'll uh, explore in a, an upcoming episode. Okay, um, Arnie just slid me a note. <laughs> okay. He said, I cannot relate. Move on. Oh, okay. Um, oh, fine, fine. Okay, well, do you, do you have anything on happiness? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, okay. I, okay, got one right here. Uh, this is from Anne Marie. She says, after hearing your podcast on happiness, I wanted to bring up the work of Barbara Einreich. I didn't think I heard her mention, but if I missed a quick reference, sorry. After being diagnosed with breast cancer, she was angry, and the attitude of the breast cancer community was that you should always be happy despite your cancer. She was even told by another cancer patient, quote, you need to run, not walk, to get therapy. You can't get better without poisoning your system, end quote, for having and expressing negative emotions about her diagnosis. In a New York Times article, she explains that what she was hearing was, quote, to be cheerful and accepting because you would not recover unless you were and to consider your cancer a gift. Additionally, the message was, if I don't get better, it's my fault, which she calls a clever blame the victim sort of thing. She also talks about the frequent self-help advice that tells people to get rid of the negative people in their lives, which included major corporations firing people for telling them things they did not want to hear. She believes this was an integral part of why the housing loan crash happened. And then I'm going to skip over a bit of it. She goes on to say, overall... She argues not that we should be pessimistic, but that we should be realistic and base our views on the world as it is, not what we wish it were. And she, I think this is really interesting that she brought this up because this was the episode called The Happiness Equation, which talked about the sort of mm-hmm. set point that we all have in our happiness disposition, which is affected by life events. But then we also talked about this idea of being realistic and being a little bit pessimistic. And so I think it's interesting that she brought up Barbara Einrich's experience with something that would have greatly affected her level of happiness and how that sort of happiness pill of being positive was shoved down her throat. All right, good. Well, hopefully that one, that one, uh, I think he liked that one. Yeah, I think he did too. All right, this one comes to us from Kieran. Kieran writes and says, Hello, Robert and Julie. I very much enjoyed your podcast on LSD flashbacks. Uh, it's refreshing to hear media discourse on the matter that doesn't des- des- devolve into hysterical knee-jerking. While physically very benign, tryptophines like LSD take us far from our everyday conscious experience and therefore should not be taken lightly. Something that may be of interest to you is the effect of hallucinogens on people with colorblindness. The condition is caused by a physical defect within the eye, but the brain of a colorblind person is capable of experiencing novel colors given the right stimuli. Uh, one thing I would take exception uh, to is the um, assertion that the effects of LSD are mainly visual in nature. Uh, visual hallucinations are the most obvious and talked about faucet, but in my opinion, the cognitive effects of LSD are what makes it so valuable. Uh, we all know intellectually that we are a bunch of apes whizzing through space on a giant rock, but there's something about tryptophanes that allow an individual to really feel the truth of that uh, proposition and similar abstract ideas in a way that makes a lasting and forceful impact. Not unlike the lucky astronauts who see 
the Earth from space and return home with a newfound appreciation for the fragility of life. Thank you for the numerous hours of informative content you have helped to combat the ennui I feel while navigating London's public transportation system. Best wishes, Kieran. Um, yes, well, that's, uh, you know, she's, of course, uh, talking about uh, the LSD flashbacks episode. And I certainly feel we did uh, uh, discuss the visual aspects of hallucinogens more in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but she does make a good point. I mean, the, the whole cognitive side of the experience, experience is, uh, is very important. And certainly we go into it more in our scientist and the shaman episodes where we discuss uh, uh, not only uh, LSD, but also uh, psilocybin and uh, and then some other substances. And I love that Karen brought up the overview effect as Indeed. well, mm-hmm. this perspective-changing uh, experience. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, is that all right, Arnie? Okay, yes, it is. And uh, when we get back, we're going to look a little uh, bit at some origami feedback and some earwax. All right, we're back. Uh, we are podcasting from uh, the House of Works office. Uh, part of the office space has been demolished by the mailbot. Yeah. But um, I, I think I think this is working. I think we're calming him down. The uh, the lasers aren't uh, jerking around so frantically anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's sounding a little calmer. So maybe we should just continue to roll out some more uh, listener mail and uh, and see what happens. Oh, that, that that was a definitive yes right there. Okay. Good, okay. Good. All right, here's one from April. It says, just listening to the origami podcast you did, and when the section on folding robots came up, I thought of paper as a weapon and recollected an action anime series I had watched several years back called Read or Die, in which the main character is a secret agent bookworm introvert type of woman who has the ability to influence the behavior of any paper she comes into contact with. Hmm. Her code name, Appley, The Paper. Are you at all familiar with it? I thought it would be an interesting and refreshing departure from the typical cookie-cutter anime story arc and style. Keep up the great work. April, this is great because we actually have a video coming out on origami, and you guys should definitely look out for that. But I love this idea of being able to just mentally transform a piece of paper. Yes. And and sort of create your own physics, uh, I guess, telekinetically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it. It, it kind of taps into just the, the power of origami anyway. The, the yeah. idea that you could take this paper and, and make, I mean, there's almost no limit. You, you, you're just using the, the, the mathematical properties, the physical properties of the paper, and you can make everything from a, a tiny frog to a, a complex, abstract, uh, uh, you know, piece of, of paper architecture. Yeah. And, uh, just when we were going through some of the research and the writing for the video, it reminded me how great that documentary between the folds is, and oh, I know we've yes. talked about it before, but it bears mentioning again. Yeah, that, that's really a, a mind-blowing documentary uh, about something that would it would be so easy to just pass over and say, oh, origami, uh, I don't care about that. I don't care about folded swans, but there's so much to it. Yeah, that's definitely one of those paradigm shifters, right? Yeah. All right, this one comes to us from Ivan. Ivan writes in and says, I'm an avid listener to most of the House of Works podcast. Uh, as serendipity would have, episodes three and four of the new Cinemax original series, The Nick, has graphic depictions of the ravages of syphilis. A woman of means, apparent, has lost her nose, episode three. The grafting of flesh from the arm is portrayed in episode four. It would have been a bit difficult to visualize what we were talking about when listening to the podcast, but having seen the show prior, I knew exactly what you were describing. 
Uh, indeed, as in our, our syphilis episode, we mentioned uh, uh, not only the ravages of the disease, but uh, you know the cultural impact and the way that uh, the people dealt with it before mm-hmm. penicillin. And uh, and much of this is explored uh, in the Nick, which uh, which is really a, a fabulous series. Steven Soderbergh, uh, Clive Owen uh, stars in it. Uh, John Hodgman later on has a cameo uh, as well uh, that will that will not delight you uh, as much as you <laughs> might think it would. But uh, yeah, I found this to be a really great show. They also get into another podcast topic of ours later on, where you get to see an individual trepanned. So it's like every episode you're diving into some some cool history from uh, from uh, from turn of the 20th century medicine. Yeah, and here's a little something I learned. About this, if you're yeah. about to watch this show, uh-huh. do not sit down and, and with a big steaming plate of spaghetti and watch <laughs> the first episode with spaghetti because just and I don't want to spoil anything here, but something gets rolled into the uh, surgery theater and all this sort of oh you know you know what happens the stuff yeah there's lots of blood yeah it's it's a show about surgeons it's a it's a show that has uh, quite a bit of uh, of blood in it uh, but but really really fascinating so don't don't watch it while you're eating dinner, but uh, it's sausage. I mentioned sausage. that my spaghetti had sausage in it, so it okay. had that meaty component. Yeah, so handle with care, but uh, but I do highly recommend it. It's one of the the best shows uh, I watched this year, and has a fabulous uh, soundtrack as well. Like even though it's a period piece, it has uh, an electronic soundtrack, a minimalist kind of electronic soundtrack by yeah. uh, Cliff Martinez. Uh, so if you're if you're into just the the music of the thing, I highly recommend it. All right, um, this next one is from Ben, and he is referencing our Ignorance is Bliss episode. And he says, first, as a guy with a degree in philosophy, I'd like to thank you for what you do. Your podcast has become a regular part of my morning ritual and is always thoroughly enjoyed, usually within the first hour of my time at work. So thank you very much, Ben. He says, second, your episode about ignorance hits close to home. When he was 18, my brother-in-law's twin sister died of a heart condition due to genetics. As her twin, he has a 50% chance of having the same condition, and a simple radiological study would reveal its presence, but he adamantly refuses to get tested because he doesn't want to live in fear. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to skip a little bit here, he goes on to say, personally, I understand this decision completely and respect it, but at the same time, I have to wonder if things change when children enter the picture i.e. is your desire to not live in fear trumped by an obligation to your children to find out these things for their own well-being. I tend to lean a little more strongly toward yes in this scenario, but I'm not my brother-in-law. He might be just as likely to argue that the quality of their upbringing would be adversely affected if, in fact, a test came back positive. Interesting stuff to think about, as always. Thanks, Ben. I think that is what so... I think this is the whole... Thing that ignorance is bliss is hinging on this idea that you don't want to walk around for the rest of your life thinking about the other shoe falling. Right. Because we're already kind of doing that with the various paper tigers of our mind anyway. So uh, he puts forth a really interesting and real life scenario right there. All right. Very good. This one comes to us from Himali. Himali from uh, New Zealand writes in and says, hey, Robert and Julie, I hope you're having a lovely year so far and wish you both a happy Diwali. Uh, and Indian New Year. Uh, I realize this is a little bit late considering uh, that you were on Thursday and Friday last week, and I am sorry about that. I accidentally used the old email address and uh, and had to send to the new email address. And what's that new email address, Julie? It is blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. 
All right. He says, keep up the great work. I love your podcast. But then he adds a PS that ties into some of our recent talk on uh, our sort of Halloween topics that we've gotten into, such as the dark and witchcraft. He says, it's awesome when you talk about different Indian traditions and know so much about the gods and goddesses. I thought you might also like to know that the day before Diwali is Indian Halloween. You can't go outside after dark, especially midnight, because it is thought there would be witches, ghosts, etc. Mum says that there is a there's a saying that means something along the lines of witches swing from vines in the water wells cackling on that day. Also on that day, you have to get rid of rubbish, including dust and cobwebs, and bury or just put them at a four-way crossroads. I've noticed that the cross-shaped crossroads come up as a bad, evil uh, symbol in other cultures, too. So uh, that's interesting. Always interesting to to hear about the uh, the cultures and traditions that uh, our various listeners uh, are a part of, and how they tie in to some of the topics we discuss here. Especially concerning this idea at this time of year mm-hmm. about the veil being very thin between this ghost world or death and life. Yeah, because you will see that in every single culture. Um, at this time of year. And I know it's a seasonal change thing. You know, you've got leaves falling off the trees there, you know, there's a, a feeling that death is creeping in and that things are going into hibernation and turning inward. But it is fascinating to see it um, <clears throat> played out in various stories in each culture. You know, I was thinking about this the other, the other day um, in, in our episode on the, it was uh, the problem with hell. I think it was one of our hell episodes. We talked a little bit about the, the idea that uh, when we were hunter gatherers, we, we, you know, we, life was kind of chaotic. We couldn't, uh, we, we had a limited ability to plan ahead. We had to depend on what we could find, what we could hunt, and what we could kill or trap. And, uh, a lot of those older gods were horned gods, were gods with antlers, uh, because they, you know, very much tied in with the hunt and the availability of prey. And then as we move into an agrarian society, uh, we we tend to largely abandon those mm-hmm. primordial gods and, and go towards, uh, more agricultural deities that are that are more reliable that deal in cycles cycles of you know of, of growing and harvest but in the in the the late fall and in the winter you know maybe part of that uh, the veil growing thin uh, comes into the fact that it kind of seems at least for a little while like those uh, those newer gods those uh, agricultural gods kind of abandon us for a little bit and then what are we left to do but to remember those those older uh, gods and or those older fears and the you know the idea that uh, that the continuation of life is dependent upon forces uh, outside of our control. I mean, when we did uh, <clears throat> the dark episode, we talked mm-hmm. about cyanobacteria, which is this ancient bacteria, which may be responsible for the fact that we have um, you know night and day cycles that mm-hmm. we're you know diurnal creatures, and that there are some creatures that are nocturnal, and it makes me think like, wow, that is. There is a sort of body knowledge and a sort of evolutionary knowledge of how important this concept of night and day is. But not only that, the changes that enact the amount of light we're getting or the lack of light we're getting. And so it really is pretty entrenched in us. You know, that ties into uh, an email we received from a listener, Jonathan. Jonathan wrote in and said, Hi, Robert and Julie. I've been listening to your new seasonal podcast, and I thought I'd share something with you as well. Happy Halloween, 40 minutes of unreleased Anduin. And he included a, a SoundCloud uh, link. And if you want to look it up for yourself, that's uh, soundcloud.com forward slash Anduin. That's A-N-D-U-I-N. And then another slash 
The Veil Grows Thin. That's four words with uh, little hyphens in there. It says, listen, share, enjoy, dream. Indeed, and it's perfect contemplative music for this season. So you guys should definitely check it out. And thank you so much for sending that. Um, all right, uh, a little bit of a lighter fare here. This is from BKB, who said that uh, when I was six years old, my first grade teacher noticed that I wasn't responding to simple instructions as quickly as I used to. BKB goes on to say that uh, there was exploratory surgery, and sure enough, there was a load of earwax. Now, we had a whole episode on earwax oh, yes. and how it's hereditary, like the smell and the amount. And uh, BKB says, it should be noted here that all male members of my family seem to have inherited my father's talent for prodigious earwax production. <laughs> However, when the wax was removed, they found further lodged in the canal, of all things, a popcorn kernel. Oh, and uh, he goes on to say that the the next ear was checked, and there was another kernel. Oh, well, at least he was balanced out, right? Yeah, he says some children throw objects down the toilet. Me in my ear holes, apparently, and uh, he said that that was probably there for two years. He says I'm happy to report the surgery was a success. My hearing was fully restored, and there has been no lasting damage at all. It's a family joke that if I was hot headed. Uh, instead of a calm demeanor child, the kernels packed in all that oily substance might have popped if oh. I ever got really mad. Anyway, that's my little earwax vignette for all to enjoy there at the office. Have a great day. Sincerely, BKB. Well, and it's a, it's another excuse just to remind everyone, do not stick things in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Q-tip. Just to, just don't do it. Yeah. All right. This is I think this is working. He He seems so much calmer now. And it's really beginning to look like the old Arnie. Yeah, it's almost like this has been a lullaby of listener feedback to him. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, he's even put the lasers away, which kind of begs the question, we're going to have to ask Izzy about this, why does Arnie have lasers? Why did we get a mailbot with lasers? Is he a military uh, robot that's been repurposed? That's the best I can figure. Izzy is Israel Ponce, our IT our tech, yeah, our tech guy, uh, yeah. guy, and he is wonderful. And um, maybe we should talk to him about dismantling. Just okay, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll do that when okay. you're not listening. Okay. All right, uh, here's one more then, one more bit of listener mail to catch up. This comes uh, to us from David, and it's responding to our Tryptophobia podcast episode, our Tryptophobia episode and the video and the the, the gallery that went with it. Um, the, these broke a lot of thoughts from, from listeners and viewers, um, a, a fair amount of paranoia and fear as well, and just sort of re-exploration of how we feel about uh, uh, things in our environment. It, it broke some people, too. It, I think it did. Um, so David writes in and says, Hey, Robert and Julie, big fan of Stuff to Blow Your Mind and the whole family of How Stuff Works podcast. Your show on tryptophobia was very, very enlightening to me. While listening to the podcast, I begin to relate to what you were describing. I'm not sure I would qualify as a tryptophobic, though, because when I think of a hole in general, uh, it is not at all disturbing. What caught my attention was when you spoke of many holes closely arranged. This is something I have always found quite disturbing and have never been able to describe as it as anything more than a bunch of small things close together weirds me out like a bunch of mold spores or something. Even while listening to the podcast, I was chopping bell peppers, and I can hardly bring myself to touch the inside of them where all the seeds form together. Anyways, when you mentioned the lotus seed pod and explained that it is most often pointed to as one of the most disturbing images by those who suffer this condition, I checked it out and couldn't even pick my phone back up. I showed it to my girlfriend and she thought nothing of it and decided to chase me around with the phone. (laughs) Not funny. I ended up pushing her, maybe a little too hard, 
kind of involuntarily, which got my point across. Don't worry, no damage done. And the silent treatment ended after a few minutes. But it was clear at that moment I really must have some kind of phobia to this. So maybe some sort of subphobia. I know, just what we need, subphobias, like we didn't have enough as it is. That includes the proximity of the holes or something is a thing, too. Ha ha. Thanks again for teaching me something about myself. Forever listening, David. One of the things that that episode on holes brought up is this idea that there's a sort of mathematical constancy or um, a correlation mm-hmm. between animals that are very dangerous and plants as well. Right. And their their spectral patterns and then these clusters. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see how, how people are reacting to it. Maybe they are uh, tapping into this spectral mathematical pattern. Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, on some level, it was like his girlfriend chased him around the apartment with, uh, like, a poisonous snake. Yeah. So. Good for you, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Um, now, I I won't go into this because this is just, this is a mathematical thing, speaking of mathematics. Okay. And we hear from Jim in New Jersey every once in a while. He has this beautiful, lovely email about the Infinity Hotel, which we talked about in one of our episodes on Infinity and he talks about rational numbers and real numbers and negative numbers. And I'm not going to read it, one, because it's long. But two, I wanted to bring up that um, there's something called the Infinite Hotel Paradox. It's a video made by Jeff Dukovsky. Mm-hmm. And it's on TED Ed, the lessons from TED. So if you're familiar with TED.com, you can go there. You can also get these sort of mini lessons. And so I just wanted to point Jim and others to the source material that we use because it's fascinating. And Jim brings up this idea about negative numbers, perhaps being able to fit into this hotel because we talked about how you'd have negative rooms going down forever and ever and ever. Um, so anyway, he brings up this fascinating question, which I thought the perfect form for this is really that Ted Ed link and everybody should check it out if they're interested. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, well, I'm feeling pretty good. Are you feeling pretty good? I mean, we are alive, so okay. I'm feeling good. And Arnie, how how do you feel? Sounds, sounds good to me. All, All right. right. I, I feel like we've done good work here. Then we were able to catch up a little bit on listener mail. And thanks to Scott and Ben from Car Stuff for uh, helping us out there with the intro. You can check out their podcast, all their content at carstuffshow.com. Um, if you want to see more of what we're doing, you can check us out at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's right. You'll find all the podcast episodes we've ever done, the videos, the blog posts, etc. cetera. Uh, so if, if we mentioned a podcast in this episode and you're like, well, I need to re-listen to that one or I'm, somehow I missed that one and I need to go seek it out, well, that is the place to do it. And uh, especially on the more recent episodes, I'm making a you know point of uh, including some sort of cool visual as well as uh, links to related content and links to outside sources that are either uh, we're either used in the creation of that, that episode or are of interest and related. Yeah. And uh, Arnie would encourage you to do this. And so would we please send us your thoughts via email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 